There's never been a better time than right now to start to start a business. I don't think you should necessarily think about what you're going to do when you grow up. You know, I think I think that's the wrong way to think about it. I think you should think about what problem you want to solve in the world. Welcome to Coffee, Eggs and Inspiration. This week, I'm joined by the wonderful Simon Squibb. Simon's an entrepreneur and investor, uh, founder of The Purposeful Project and many things uh, in between, which we'll talk about. Uh, Simon's been a, a good chunk of his uh, career in Hong Kong, uh, where he, uh, he started out, he founded actually a, uh, an agency called Fluid uh, in the year 2000 with Helen Griffith and sold that uh, in 2016 to, to PwC. Um, but over that period did uh, some amazing things in the creative agency space uh, in the Asia Pacific area, including a short stint as a, uh, a baron of comics, I think the Marvel equivalent or something in, in Asia, uh, which sounds pretty interesting. Um, then uh, got into the investment game or the, the VC world, the entrepreneurship world, uh, where he's been ever since, um, had a stint uh, with uh, a company called Nest as the founder, uh, and then subsequently with a company called Net Meta, uh, which sort of brings together entrepreneurs with uh, corporate venturers and other parts of that community. Um, and uh, on onward to today with the Purposeful Project, and, and I'll save that for uh, for when we talk about it because it's a fascinating, fascinating idea. Welcome. Simon, uh, you and I did a podcast earlier in the week. In fact, I was on yours, right? Yeah, totally. Yes, it's uh, great to uh, be on your podcast. But I really enjoyed interviewing you, and um, yeah, it's uh, I appreciate your insights and, and and stories. So thanks very much for being on my podcast. Well, my pleasure, and it's uh, it's wonderful for you to reciprocate. And we were comparing technology. I'm using a, a, a platform called Streamyard here. Uh, you use a slightly different one, but it's always interesting to pick up sort of tips and techniques from the from the pros, and you're certainly a, a pro in that respect. Um, talk to me about Hong Kong. You were there for a long time. Yeah, it, it was a really interesting time. Um, I've noticed that when I look back at my career, that I've always gone when everyone else is go, gone somewhere when everyone else is not so happy there. So, for example, I came back to England just after Brexit, uh, and, and everyone was really, of course, upset because of Brexit. And it drew me back to England, actually, because I felt I'd lost touch with my people. Uh, so, so it drew me back to, to England. Uh, but, but I went to Hong Kong in 1997, just before Hong Kong was handed back uh, by the British, by Margaret Thatcher, uh, to, uh, to the Chinese. And it's an incredible thing to have experienced because I mean, Hong Kong, for those that don't know, you know, I think it's now the most expensive place in the world to live. As a financial hub, it is one of the top three. Um, it is a conduit to China itself. It is an incredible place, very, very profitable as a country. Um, and, and it was peacefully handed over to the Chinese by the British. So you know, no war, no disagreement. Um, and and, and that, that's kind of an amazing thing to watch. Um, and so, but when, when I went there, everyone was talking about the end of Hong Kong at that moment. I mean, there were people that would argue today Hong Kong's in serious trouble uh, because of its um, political situation. but. But at that time in 1997, people were predicting what's happening now then, and it didn't happen. But a lot of people left, and a lot of people panicked, thinking it was going to become a communist state. Um, and, I, and I went there uh, at the very moment when everyone else was leaving. 
Um, and it was, it, that's one of the reasons I was able to frankly build a, a really successful agency because a lot of the, the talented people that knew how to run an agency left. They left in 1997, leaving a massive gap in, in, in the market, uh, which I filled. Well, so both an opportunity, but um, you still have to hire people. So where did you get your talent and tell me the story of Fluid? Yeah, well, I, I guess uh, my model originally for the creative agency, I mean, it, you know, it, it grew into this incredibly big and successful agency. But the original premise of the business was actually pretty simple. I met someone who you mentioned earlier called Helen Griffiths. And when I met her, she was working as a, a junior designer for a magazine. And she was literally really just at the beginning of her career. And I watched what she could do when she was designing this magazine. And I asked her what she was charging. And I laughed. It was literally nothing. And I said, why are you charging so little? And she said, I just love doing it. Like every creative I think I've ever met since that's good. And I said, you know, you're undercharging for this. And I feel like, um, you know, let me help you uh, charge properly for, for what you're doing. And, and, and she said, I really hate marketing and I really hate selling. Um, so why don't we team up? Um, and, and I said, well, I love marketing. And she said, I love design. So we said, well, let's create an agency called Fluid Design and Marketing. And we were the first agency at that time uh, to be digital first. And we were, the, you know, we were thinking digital first, really, in all our creative. And the second thing, we were the first agency that really combined design and marketing. So there were marketing companies uh, that gave you marketing strategies, and there were design companies that created nice campaigns, but there weren't very often companies that had a design and marketing mindset. And coupled with the digital, we were quite quickly uh, singled out uh, by some big, big companies that, that hired us um, as quite unique. But it started out very simply, you know, just a partnership between two people. It wasn't, I never thought about needing to hire all these creative people, which we then went on to hire. But what did help was having a very talented, creative person at the beginning, because she would, she, would she would cultivate and help uh, the next generation of designers come through the system. What are the uh, sorts of projects that you that you worked on? Can you give me an example of one that you're really proud of? Oh, so many. I mean, I I, I, um, I, I got involved in all sorts of interesting things. Um, I think uh, working on like CNN Japan and launching CNN Japan was pretty interesting. You know, like an American news channel. Um, you know, rebranding it so that it was CNNJ, um, and and you know working within the guidelines of like CNN brand, but also, you know, creating something that was going to work in that market um, and, 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 and kind of a digital first approach at the time, which is like part of the strategy was getting to hotels as well. Like CNN's, I mean, uh, about getting too political, Donald Trump said when he went overseas, no one liked him because everyone's watching CNN, right? And a lot of it's because they're watching it in the hotels. No one's really watching Fox. It's not broadcast outside much of the US, right? Some things change and others don't, right? Um... Yeah, that's true. <laughs> The, uh, the business became wildly successful and you ended up selling to PwC and, and you'd taken the decision to put um, uh, a managing director in place shortly before that. So you were able to uh, decouple at that, at that time and go off and do different things. But it's a, a fascinating um, and a poignant example, I think, of everything that's happening in both the consulting industry and the agency industry at the moment. We see this convergence in a way where... Uh, the media agencies predominantly of the past, and many of them had uh, creative agencies under their umbrellas, these sort of archipelagos of, of companies, uh, are being threatened and challenged 
uh, by the big four, the the, uh, the big audit firms that have that have got consulting arms like PwC uh, and and others like Accenture uh, along the way, and and it's sort of converging. But um, design and user experience and things like that seem to sit at the heart of this sort of confluence, this this conflict. I'd love to hear your view on what's happening in the agency world at the moment and your experience sort of being part of that story. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting one. I think um, there was a decline. Sometimes like, people outside the industry that aren't from the industry, the best way I can explain it, because some of your listeners might not be agency people, so I don't want to get too technical on the agency side, but it reminds me what's happening with the agency world, kind of what's happened in the coffee shop world. You know, Starbucks had this incredible rise where, you know, it just it kind of wiped out in some respects um, the traditional coffee shop and, and Starbucks took over every street corner and, and everyone went to Starbucks. But slowly but surely, the independent coffee shop has fought its way back. And, and I think in the agency world, that happened as well. We, you know, all the WPPs of this world tried to buy my company many times, a little independent shop. Actually, you know, I remember we pitched to uh, launch an airline called Viva Macau. Um, you know, it was a brilliant project, branding an airline, branding an airplane. Um, and, and we won it because uh, against uh, Ogilvy, I think it was at the time, uh, because we were digital first. And, and the agencies that we were up against and the brilliant agencies like Ogilvy that we were up against, um, they, they were very much still like print advert first or, you know, like um, print first. And then, oh, by the way, let's do a website. Right. Well, let's do something digital. And I think, you know, they, they lost because the airlines, of course, you know, the new airlines anyway, they all want to be selling direct to consumers. And that's how they're going to keep their cost down because they're selling through agents and so on. And, and I think that that, that kind of symbolizes the agency world, the, the independent shop uh, wins. But there is, and there is a big but even in the independent coffee shop world, you're probably behind the scenes not seeing it, but they're all getting uh, aggregated. Because if you've got one coffee shop on your own, you don't really have the scale. To, to, to make it work. So a lot of independent coffee shops are beginning to merge and what might become in the end a competitor to Starbucks from a structural perspective, but from an external client experience perspective, it's still independent coffee shops, right? So, um, so in the agency world, it's very similar about making it too complicated. And I think the big agencies, there is a combination of like um, big structure, the Starbucks structure that works at scale alongside the individuality of, of, say, an independent. And I think that's what PwC saw in buying us and booze. Um, and, 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 uh, and that was quite interesting because we, we ended com combined with booze because the booze weren't in Asia, right? So we were in Asia, they were, they were, they were in Europe. And I think that, um, you know, being independent, quick thinking, on your feet, digital first is, is what they needed and what clients need. But my agency included, we, we sometimes lack the scale. I mean, PwC have 52 offices in them. For me to go and open 52 offices is, is like going to be 10 years of my life, right? And PwC can literally copy and paste the model and put it in every single market. That, that, that scale is incredible, but they couldn't do it culturally without the independent agency mindset and team. Um, so it's a good combination. I call it one plus one equals 11 if you get it right. Uh, and, and Fluid's done really well inside the PwC uh, business as has booze and it's benefited clients because really that's what it's all about that's you know what all companies grow because their clients are happy right um, yeah. so that's my I mean, it's, a very, it's a very difficult balance isn't it and you see this playing out with some some of the acquisitions that Accenture's done as well um, you need to leave that sort of independence that that sort of cultural 
uh, upstart identity in place without smothering it, you know, um, uh, by the sort of big suited corporation, but also uh, give the scale. So it's a really interesting balance, and it's great to hear fluids uh, done well through that through that merger. Let's let's move on and talk about entrepreneurship because that's really um, the area that you're 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 an entrepreneur yourself, obviously. Um, some would say poacher term gamekeeper, perhaps, but uh, you know now you're 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 giving back. Uh, you've been uh, skillful and um, uh, insightful and fortunate uh, enough uh, to do pretty well, uh, and you've got the the purposeful project at the moment, which is all about helping entrepreneurs for free. Uh, tell us more about that. Yeah, I think um, I, I I was reading a story. Um, as COVID hit about how many people were going to be uh, put out of work because of COVID. Um, and, it, and it proved to be true a year later. I mean, they predicted about a million people would lose their job because of COVID. But thanks to furlough, um, it wasn't instant. But in the last budget recently, it did register that eight, over 800,000 people have lost their job because of COVID. 800,000 people. But when I read this before it happened, the prediction, um, I, I felt a sense of uh, responsibility. I mean, I'm not a doctor, so I couldn't go on the front line and, and help in that way, but I could help some of those 800,000 odd people. There's no job. Um, there, there really shouldn't be unemployment in this day and age. I'd love to eradicate unemployment. I mean, that's the overarching mission that we're doing because in reality, no one should uh, not have a job if they don't want one. And, and a job is a bit of a misunderstood word. I, I think something to do that you love is perhaps a better way to put it. And I feel like if you can't find a job, create one for yourself. And now with technology, you know, in the palm of your hands, the power we have, the ability to broadcast and communicate as you are now to the thousands of people instantly, uh, there really is no reason why, you know, people can't start a business of their own instead of wait for a job. Even if it's a small business that you love, it doesn't have to be Google or Facebook or whatever. It can be something, you know, you just enjoy doing. And, and I think the big reason people don't do it is because they don't have the training. Um, no one can be a doctor without training. No one can be a lawyer without training. There's nobody that can become anything without a bit of support. And so I decided that you know, I wanted to build something at scale that could bring knowledge and support, help people build a business, help people grow their business, and make sure they never feel alone doing it. Uh, and that's what I set about doing with a purposeful project. We want to help people start and grow a business and never feel alone doing it. Uh, and we do it in various ways. Um, but, but it was quite exciting to start off with this premise of, like, we'll never charge people for help. Because there's a lot of organizations out there, but there's always a little bit like well, accelerators, for example, which I was involved in before, they'll take equity from, from you. But what if you've got no business that anyone wants equity in? What if you've got a business that I don't want equity in? What if they don't even have a company yet? So then what? How, how, do you, how do you get the help you need? Okay, so maybe you pay a consultant. But what if you've got the money for a consultant or an advisor or a business coach? And there's, there's millions of people that can't pay for help. They can't even get the internet. You know, so, so, so I love the idea that we, you know, we would help anybody that needs it and we're not after anything. It's actually quite liberating from a, from a business perspective to, 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 to have no agenda and just purely be trying to find a way to help people. It's an extraordinary uh, mission that you're on, Simon. And um, Obviously, you're funding a lot of it yourself. Do you, do you have other funding sources? Yeah, so I, I've been funding it for the last year myself. Uh, and I'm always very transparent about it. I've been spending about £12,000 a month myself on this, um, and, and I'm willing to fund it for the rest of my life. Uh, but I am now starting to get, and I think this is an interesting lesson. I never, I never went out 
to look for money. Uh, but I think mission is resonating with people that we are starting to get now a lot of corporate endorsement and support. And we're starting to make money on our YouTube channel. We're starting to make money on, on our other communication channels. And my dream is eventually the, you know, our social media presence will cover our cost to execute giving people help for free. Uh, and, and, and it's going that way. Um, of course, you know, a bit of luck and a lot more hard work. Uh, and we'll, we'll get there. But, but, but actually, funnily enough, um, this month is the first month where I won't have to be transferring £12,000 into the bank. I'm only going to have to transfer three. Uh, and that is actually a milestone for me. You know, like with the first time when I'm actually uh, not having to put all the money in my personally to fund the operation of, of giving people help for free. So, Well, hats off to you. I mean, that's true, uh, truly purposeful. And uh, as, as the name suggests, and obviously helping... Um, you know, thousands, thousands of entrepreneurs. It's interesting, isn't it, that in a moment of crisis, entrepreneurship tends to flourish, sometimes out of necessity, uh, but sometimes out of um, a, a general sort of rationalization or shift in the market. We saw it in 2008 in financial crisis. And, you know, I'm certainly seeing it now. I, I do a bit of angel investing myself. And, um, just the number of businesses out there is 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 wonderful, and uh, they're fantastic ideas, many of them. But your 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 point is really um, well made. Uh, until until you've got a robust uh, business plan, and perhaps even a sort of fledgling team, it's very difficult uh, to get support. Uh, so there's a gap in the in the market there, uh, which you're obviously filling. I was on a, um, a mentorship call this morning with somebody I'm mentoring, and she's mentoring me actually. And she's got a little business which um, which has been bootstrapped along. And I said, "Look, are you you need some funding now? Uh, have you got a business case?" And she said, I, "I don't know what that is." So we spent 40 minutes, pulled out a you know spreadsheet, and, and we built one. Uh, and it's that sort of help that um, smart people can then grip onto and, and take a long way. Have you got some stories uh, of really heartwarming or interesting uh, um, engagements uh, that you've had in the Purposeful Project that you can share? Yeah, I think what what's, um, surprised me is the, I mean, of course, you know, our, our, this whole, you know, let's call it philanthropy mission of like helping people for free. Um, I think what shocked me at the beginning of the process was uh, that, that people are sceptical, you know, almost like the world's got a bit cynical, like, oh, you know, why are you really helping? You know, like, what's the angle? And, and, and if you're persistent and consistent and you never start upselling, like we've never, you know, halfway through a webinar said, oh, and by the way, if you really want to unlock the secrets to entrepreneurship, then, you know, join us on our £8,000 course next. But we, 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 you know, we've consistently delivered value and never asked for anything in return. And what, what, what happened about six months in is the cynics dropped away. I mean, it's still there. People still always have cynics, but it dropped away. And what came through, which really kind of uh, shows, I, I think, the good side of humanity, the uh, law of attraction, is all these people that would literally ping us, putting up their hands and say, hey, uh, can I help? Uh, what do you need? Uh, I love what you're doing. Uh, I, I can give you a couple of hours a week to mentor someone. I can... I can, I can uh, support, I'll happily push this out on my social network for you or 
you know, like just with people, and I mean, not one or two, a couple of hundred, so far, I think, of people nice. are offering to help because you're doing it for free. They're willing to do it for free. And then free suddenly has value, you know, like free has value to those that can't afford help. I tell you, uh, the people, when you help people for free and they can't afford it, trust me, you know, it's so valuable. There's so many people that have got money and say, oh, free has no value. If you don't charge for it, people don't value it. I think those people have never had nothing. Yeah. Never had help from someone who wants nothing in return because it is really valuable. And I, I, and I felt it the same thing. It's like karma, like, you know, we said about, uh, if, if you give, I, I, I've been overwhelmed actually by the amount of people that say, you know what, Simon, um, let, let me give you something for free. Let us help you for free. Um, and, and therefore help our platform uh, succeed. It's been amazing. Well, I, I love your mission, and uh, I'll join those those volunteers and, and put my hand up here and uh, and do what I can. We've we've done a podcast together. Anything else you need, I'd be really happy to uh, to help to the extent it's helpful. Um, how do people get in touch if they want um, uh, to engage with the Purposeful Project? How do they get in touch? Yeah, just go to the website, purposefulproject.com. Um, on there, you'll see we're actually running a couple of promotions at the moment where you can get capital, you can get mentorship, um, whatever you need, um, marketing support. Um, so just go on the website, see what we're running right now, programs-wise. If you want one-on-one -on -one mentorship, there's a, a thing on there. You can get that. If you want to uh, join one of our webinars, teaching you marketing, PR, branding, whatever you might need, sign up, join our main list. Let us know, you know what you need as well. You can just send us a direct message in there too. Of course, I'll put the links below as as you do on these things, and uh, I'm pointing down for those of you listening on a, on a podcast. I'll leave the last words to you, Simon. If you're a, a person who's perhaps out of work, um, maybe coming out of school or, or lost their job in COVID, and thinking about starting a business, what advice would you have for me? Yeah, I'd say a few things. Um, the there's never been a better time than right now to start to start a business. It, you know the amount of access to technology and and knowledge and you know, it really is a wonderful time to start a business. And history always tells you the future if you look back at history. And every single, as you said earlier, every single successful business has actually been started in difficult times. Uh, so so that, that's one thing. The other thing I would say I, I, I don't think I learned this until I was in my thirties, and I wish someone had told me it a bit earlier, but. Um, I don't think you should necessarily think about what you're going to do when you grow up. You know, I think I think that's the wrong way to think about it. I think you should think about what problem you want to solve in the world, and it could be a personal problem to you, whatever it is. You know, and, and if, I, if you think about things in that context, then sometimes you can team up with other people that are actually solving that problem that you care about, um, and, and you can co-create, co-own, uh, 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 mission alignment is powerful that way. Or you can go and build something that, that solves the problem that matters to you, that will motivate you. I, of course, I call this purpose. You know, the purpose of life is a life with purpose. It's kind of my, my favorite kind of statement around this. And, and that's probably what I'd say to people. Have a little think about purpose. Have a little think about what problem you'd like to solve. Because it, it's an incredible motivator if, if, you, if you find that thing. Well, that's wonderful advice. What problem do you want to solve and, uh, and engage in a, a purposeful uh, pursuit? Simon Squibb, you're an inspiration. Thanks so much for joining me. Thanks for having me, Greg. Appreciate you.